Welcome to Trauma-Informed Parenting, where you can find information about adoption, foster care, parenting a child with a capital letter syndrome, such as ADD, ADHD, FASD, SPD, on the spectrum, etc., and trauma-informed parenting, all in one place. I'm Kathleen Guire, your host, mother of seven, four through adoption, former National Parent of the Year, author, teacher, and speaker, but more important than any of those things, I'm a parent just like you. I know what it's like to raise kiddos with trauma histories and capital letter syndromes. I used to feel as if I were the only one struggling, and because I felt that way, I isolated myself. I don't want you to feel alone in your parenting journey. So grab a cup of coffee and join me for Trauma-Informed Parenting, a Coffee Break Podcast. Hi, Kathleen Guire here. Welcome to Trauma-Informed Parenting. Today, I am going to start on a series. It's going to take me more than one podcast. So if you're listening to this first one and it's in the backlist, look for the other ones. But I'm talking about five simple practices to help alleviate decision fatigue and give you more peace and power in your parenting. Now, who doesn't want that? I'm going to be sharing some of my experiences, my failures, because I always share those, and my successes. So how do we get these practices embedded in our lives so that we can have less decision fatigue and more peace and more power in our parenting. I'm going to start with number one today, which is, wait for it, create a schedule. Okay, so creating a schedule seems like a no-brainer, especially when you have so many times sensitive responsibilities on your calendar, on your to-do list, and you're raising kiddos with trauma histories and capital letter syndromes, and you're going to therapies and sports practices or homeschool groups, so many things. Okay, so let's just take a step back for a second. For instance, If you know that maybe your kiddos need to get out of the door for school or baseball, a therapy appointment, or fill in the blank, you write it on your calendar. We've and we've all seen those rom-coms where the main character has a calendar full of sticky notes and adheres to a strict schedule. And in order for her to find love and happiness, she needs to let her schedule do go let her schedule go, and do whatever she feels like doing. Well, I disagree. I don't think that's true. And here's why. A schedule is freeing. It is, as the headline of this particular episode promises, alleviates decision fatigue and gives you more peace and power in your parenting. What? How can a schedule do that? Before I answer that, let me walk you through a few scenarios. And before I get to that, I'm going to start with a question. 
If you need to get out the door with seven kids, this is my life I'm talking about, do you know exactly what needs accomplished in order for that to happen? One more question. Do your kids know exactly what needs to be accomplished in order for that to happen? Okay, now that I have you thinking about that, maybe you're thinking, okay, so just writing it on the calendar is not enough. True. Writing it on the calendar is the first step. Now that I have you thinking a little bit more, I'm going to walk you through two scenarios. Your seven kids, because this is my life, (laughs) uh, have a 7.30 a.m. doctor's appointment because your family doctor understands why your kids need to come in when no one is there. Trauma histories, fear of doctors, fear of white lab coats, that's just my story. So you write seven o'clock on the calendar or you use a calendar app. And because you want to leave at seven to make it on time for this 7.30 appointment, great job. So 6 a.m. that morning, You wake the kids thinking you have plenty of time to do exactly what needs to be done before getting out the door. And I'm speaking from personal experience in this next statement. You assume your kids do too. Been there, done that. But then at 6.30, seven kids are still in their pajamas. Two boys are wrestling on the floor. Two girls are sitting on their beds talking about what they are going to wear, but they haven't moved yet. You're dressing the baby when you hear the TV click on. Well, you still have half an hour left. The oldest kid has fallen back asleep. 15 minutes later, the oldest is still asleep. The others are playing, eating cereal, and generally just walking around in a time-blind stupor. This is when you lose it, or I have lost it. Just raise your hand here if this has ever been you. We have to be in the Suburban in 15 minutes and none of you are ready. And you point to the giant whiteboard. I'll talk more about whiteboards in a later episode. And you say, see, it says right here, dentist appointment. The three non-readers stare at the whiteboard blankly. Like what? Uh, they, They don't even know what it says. They can't read. And for the next 15 minutes, it's total chaos. You're chasing kids around, wrestling clothes on them, and yelling how much time you have left before you must leave. You arrive at the doctor frazzled and 10 minutes late. The kids are grumpy and not to mention maybe scared out of their wits because you forgot just for a moment about their fear of doctors, white lab coats, and anything medical. So you didn't talk them through what was going to happen next. It's not that you don't care. It's a bunch of misconceptions, mistaken goals, and assumptions all mixed together that have led you 
I mean me, to this point. Because all of the above is a true story. I mean, if I can't use myself as an example of things that have happened in my life and taught me lessons, then what am I doing? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm going to be open. I'm going to be honest. And I remember it wasn't, it was probably six to eight months after we adopted a sibling group of four from Poland that the local newspaper called and said, we would love to do an article about you. We have a faith-based section on the weekends. We'd love to come and interview you. And so they did. And I think it was at this point in my parenting, because I'm normally, I like, I love organization. I do. But I just, that just kind of smacked me upside the head all of a sudden having seven kiddos and having to organize their time, their day, everything that was going on and managing my household. Let me put it that way, which I will mention a little bit later in this episode, managing your household, being proactive instead of reactive. I just, I was just talking to my husband this morning, like I remember when I was being interviewed, the thing that stuck in my brain the most, what I was living through was like, she asked me like, how do you do this? And I said, you have to be organized. You have to have a schedule because that's what I was learning. You have to have a schedule. I'm going to explain a little bit more about what I mean by schedule because obviously it's not just writing it on the calendar and we want to let go of those misconceptions, mistaken goals and assumptions that all get mixed together and throw us off track. So the mistaken goal is getting out the door at whatever time is the only goal, right? So we're just like, we have that in our mind. And it is a good goal. I'm not saying that it's a bad goal, but I'm saying it can't be the only goal, all right? And the misconception Here's a huge one. Your kids know the importance of getting ready on time. I just mentioned a minute ago, like these kids are walking around with time blindness. They don't know. You know, a four or five-year-old, when you say, we're leaving in 15 minutes, that means nothing to them. And by the way, we started this practice after I started learning a little bit more about time management and organization of comparing time to, this is as long as this show you like to watch, like in thinking of like a 20 minute episode. It's one episode of this. So those sorts of things, but that doesn't mean they're immediately, your kids are not immediately going to understand time. Okay, and here is the assumption. Your kids know exactly what needs to be accomplished or done to get out the door. And going back to the time, the assumption that they can tell time. Here's another assumption that we make. They will act like adults. They will act like adults. Even we can't get out the door on time sometimes. And when they see doctor's appointment on the whiteboard or on your calendar, They're going to know exactly which steps are needed in order to get out of the door in an orderly and timely manner. You know what? 
I've quoted this before. My mother used to tell me this all the time about writing. Assume the reader knows nothing. And I think we need to approach these sorts of things, getting out the door on time, knowing what to do in the right order, as assume your child knows nothing. And I don't mean that they're stupid and you don't say you know nothing, but you start from the foundation of it is my job to proactively parent and teach these kiddos and help these kiddos work through the steps that need to be achieved in order to get out of the door on time or whatever it is. Now, let's consider scenario number two. Not only have you written dentist appointment on your calendar or put it on your app, but you've also written down the exact steps that need to get you there. Wake kids at six o'clock. Have the kids' clothes laying out. Once the kids awake, don't go downstairs until you supervise and help them get dressed. Go downstairs together, all of you, or wherever your kitchen is. Pick out, have a simple breakfast already chosen and have it set out. Sit down and eat together. Then put the dishes in the dishwasher. Lead everybody in brushing their teeth and have the shoes ready either in the shoe keeper or near the door. Make sure that they're there the night before because we know that's a huge thing for kiddos. It's like, I can't find my shoes, okay? So before I go any further, I'm going to sidestep and talk about a few practices that make your list of things to do when you need to get out the door or even on a daily basis. When I talk about having a schedule, the schedule isn't there just for when you have a doctor's appointment or dentist appointment, which I think I've been using interchangeably. <laughs> um, it also applies to your daily living. Now, I come from the viewpoint of homeschooling, so I had to have this organization, this schedule throughout my day in order for things to happen in a timely manner. You can't just wake up and hope the right things are going to happen in the right order. And I will say for you moms out there and you dads, like you're thinking, well, some mornings I wake up and I am exhausted and I need an extra cup of coffee and I don't want to wake the kids up yet. And I've just, I know I have a hard day ahead of me and I had a hard day yesterday. I don't want to do a schedule. I get it. That's where I lived right before that interview, obviously, when the lady for the newspaper was interviewing me. That's what I kept talking about was, you know, being organized and having a schedule because I learned the hard way. Now, were there days that I put the schedule off? I'll talk about that in a minute in a few minutes. But anyway, it is so important for us to use these tools and a schedule is a tool. So let me continue my sidestep and I'll get back to that point in a minute. 
Okay. All right. So number one, practice outside the moment. And number two, create picture or word cards for your kids so they know exactly what to do. All right. In order for your schedule to work well-ish, because nothing's perfect, your kids need to know how to do what needs to be done. This is where practicing outside the moment or training comes in. And I have a whole chapter in my book, How to Have Peace When Your Kids Are in Chaos, on this subject. And I am going to grab the book and read a couple things. And by the way, just a shout out to whomever ordered last month 50 copies of this book at once. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And I I hope that it helps you. Okay. So here, this chapter is training and practicing outside the moment instead of punishment. Now, this is what the Bible says about this, and I think that some people misinterpret this verse. Train up a child in the way he should go and in keeping with his individual gift or bent, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, I take that literally as in training, because often we think of training as punishment. And you know, I, if you've been a regular listener, you know I'm huge about the difference between punishment and discipline, and that traditional parenting does not work with these kiddos. But training does work with these kiddos, and I'll explain a little bit more about that in a minute. But if you're interested in learning more about that, I do have a free chapter you can download of how to have peace when your kids are on in chaos, and it is why traditional parenting doesn't work and what does work. So I'll make sure I link that in the show notes. All right. Practicing outside the moment is exactly what it sounds like. You practice something in a quiet moment that exists outside the situation that you're training for. So training precedes behavior and allows a child to practice before the scenario occurs. So that's, it's really important for you to understand that. You have to practice outside the moment. In other words, when you are trying to get out the door, you cannot take time to practice how to put your clothes on and brush your teeth and make your bed. That's not the time to do it. If your child has never had to do those things before or they struggle with the dexterity of buttons or um, snaps or anything like that, no, that's not the time to do it. All right, so how do you do a training session? You gather all the kids. You give simple instructions. And remember, training sessions don't have to be long. They can be super short. The first session I implemented focused on kids obeying simple commands like come. And because we were still working on English at that point, I said it in Polish. 
If the child immediately walked across the room to me, I thanked him and I said, great job. Then I moved to calling the child when he was in another room. If he came right away, I repeated the praise. If he didn't, I went to him and told him to come. And then I did a redo. I required him to go back to where he was and we tried again. All right. Now that was just a really simple training that I started with, was just getting the kids to respond to me. I was new to them. I mean, we had lived for a month in the orphanage, but that's a totally different environment than a home environment. And then I started this thing um, called, we call it Guire's Report. And I'll explain it and, and then I'll explain why. So whenever we were getting ready to go out the door for something and everybody was ready and you know how kids are, all of a sudden one of them's in the family room, one's in the bathroom, one went back upstairs to their bedroom to do something and I'm like, okay, we're ready. We need to get out the door. Where is everybody? So I started doing this thing and this is from, I kind of got the idea from Cheaper by the Dozen, the book, the actual book not the movie, and I would just yell, Guire's Report. And everyone, we practiced that outside of the moment, and it was fun. I mean, you have to make these very lighthearted. This isn't about being militant. This is about achieving a goal. So all of my kiddos would come running, and I would praise them, and, and then they would say things like, you're not going to make us sing, because some of them would refer to the sound of music like, we're not singing, Mom. Like, yeah, no, we're not. Anyway, and before you say, or maybe you're already thinking, oh my gosh, you're such a militant parent. Okay, what's, what's the alternative? What was the alternative for me? The alternative for me is I could have taken another half an hour to run around the house going to each bedroom, bathroom, yelling, cajoling, begging, like, come on, let's get in the car, let's get in the car, let's get in the car. So we started doing that Guire report. And one time we were at church and my kids were in the foyer, very large foyer, and they were scattering all over the place talking to friends and I just really wanted to leave. So I just said, Guire's report really loud and my kids kind of made their way over there and looked at me like how could you do that here mom but I did and then another kid joined us and said um well I used to be in the choir but I'm not anymore do you want me to still line up <laughs> and I was like buddy I said choir and he just looked at me like I was crazy so you may be thinking oh my goodness this lady's crazy all right moving forward I'm not crazy Moving forward, my kiddos practiced outside the moment getting dressed, folding their pajamas, making the bed while I timed them and we made it a game. Not when we were going out the door, but like on an afternoon where we didn't have anything going on, we would take 15 minutes and just go through this. And of course, we weren't training the whole 15 minutes. It was just get everybody together, explain what we're gonna practice, lay out their clothes, let them try it. 
and give them a reward afterwards. So it needs to take time. Practicing outside the moment needs to take place in a non-time sensitive environment and be fun. And just so you know, you will always have at least one curmudgeon. Like, I don't want to do this or I'm not doing this. But do it anyway. Do it anyway. Because how many things in life do we have to do anyway? You know, when we don't feel like it. I mentioned a little bit ago, like maybe, you know, you wake up and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't want to wake the kids up. I just want an extra cup of coffee and I want to sit here for a few minutes. Well, you can because you're the parent. That's up to you. But what's really important about practicing outside of the moment is you're building a habit. You're teaching important life skills. You're alleviating some of the assumption thinking. I talked about this earlier, assuming your kids know what to do. You're alleviating decision fatigue and you'll have more peace and power in your parenting. So practice outside the moment for getting out the door in the morning or if you homeschool, which I did, we even practiced outside the moment what we needed to do in the morning before breakfast. And we didn't do it in the, we didn't practice outside the moment in the morning. Okay. So try it. Try it. I have a few warnings at the end, but I'm going to go on to number two, cards. All right, there was no Etsy when I was doing this, so I made the cards myself. I created cards for my kiddos with words for older kids and pictures for younger kids. Morning cards that said, get dressed, make your bed, brush your teeth, wash your face, go down to breakfast. And like I said, with the, with the younger kids, they were pictures and there was a lot of support and help either from me personally saying, okay, what's this picture? What do you need to do next? Or once they had gotten a little bit of a hang of it, it would be an older kid helping them. This, these cards help kiddos that struggle with the executive function and the Swiss cheese memory. So if you have a child who has FASD or any capital letter syndrome or a trauma history and you're like, why don't they know that they need to brush their teeth every morning? It's because of that Swiss cheese memory. It just like it leaves their brain. And especially if you live in a household with more than one child with a trauma history and capital letter syndrome, they get caught up in the moment of whatever's going on, throwing stuffed animals at each other in the morning, jumping on the bed instead of making it, and, and those sorts of things. So those cards are a way to help them be their executive function for them. Now, like I said, don't just hand your kid a card because they are going to need extra help at first. Learning what these cards are, learning what how to walk through them, that's another practicing outside of the moment thing. And I'm telling you, if this is all new to you, if it's all new and you're thinking, 
I've never heard of this kind of stuff. This is crazy. I don't want to be that restrictive. I don't want to do all of those things. Well, again, think of the alternative. If you think this is too much work, consider the alternative. Scenario A, you can live that on a regular basis, free of charge. Been there, done that. You can live in the constant chaos of trying to always round up your kids, expecting them to know what's expected, expecting them to be um, not time blind, but know what time means. Or if you think practicing outside the moment or scheduling is too legalistic or restricting, let me ask you, did you have job training when you started a new job? Or do you use a scheduling app for anything? Or have you read or listened to a book or podcast about time management? I'm reading Redeeming Your Time right now by Jordan Rayner. And I also highly recommend Essentialism. There's so many books out there on time management. And we as adults, we're using apps and calendars and notes apps and all of these things to organize our work in our day. Well, where are the the tools for the kids? Well, we have to create the tools for them, especially if you have a child with a trauma history and a capital or, and or, could be both, because I have both in my family. Where do they get these time management tools? And who is training them and teaching them? That's our job. And I would say just Google time management. I did that this morning. I was like, okay, if I'm going to talk about it, I better Google it. And it's like all these apps come up, all these books come up, all these podcasts, like just tons of stuff. But the time management for kids, that's our job to create them. You're teaching your kiddo to manage time which is a skill or habit that will serve them for the rest of their lives. Plus, here's a big, huge bonus, plus being a reactionary parent, instead of being a reactionary parent, you're being proactive. You're being a manager of your home instead of letting circumstances manage you. And that earns you. I had written down and I crossed it out in my notes. That gives you more peace. No, that earns you more peace. You earned it. You earned it. Now, to finish up, I have a few warnings. If you have never practiced outside the moment and you all of a sudden tell your kiddos, you know, at 4 o'clock this afternoon, right before dinner, we are going to... Do some training. We're going to practice outside the moment. Your kids may, okay, they will. They'll bulk. They'll look at you like, are you crazy? Now, some of the little kiddos won't, especially if you do fun games like Simon Says. And those are really fun ways to start helping your kids connect to listening to you. And so just do it anyway. Like I said, you're going to have some curmudgeons. You're going to have some people who, true story, flop on the ground and just say, 
<laughs> this is too hard or I don't want to do that. Just keep going, keep going. All right, so that was my one warning here. And I also want to say, I said I would talk about this. A schedule is a tool that you use. It works for you. You don't work for this schedule. Be flexible. I mentioned the thing, I'll mention it again. Like you wake up and you're like, oh my goodness, this is, I had a hard night. The kids were getting up. There were nightmares. There were some bedwetting involved and all sorts of things that you're still dealing with. You're like, I just, can I just sit here for 10 more minutes and drink another cup of coffee? Be flexible. For instance, if you homeschool like I did, and the schedule says math at 9 a.m., and you know your kiddo needs a break at 9 a.m. because they've already done three subjects, melted down 10 times, and you need a break and they need a break. Take a break. You're in charge of the schedule. Also, as a final thing, we are not reaching for perfection. That is not the goal. We are aiming for more peace and more connection with our kiddos. And I promise you, you are able to connect more with your kiddos when you are not yelling that you have to leave in 15 minutes. Not that that won't ever happen again, but if you use a schedule that will ha happen less frequently. And if you practice outside of the moment and you make these cards for your kiddos, and you help them work through learning how to use them. So I hope this episode helps. Um, P.S. Before I leave, I am working on a trauma-informed planner just for you. I think that we need our own sort of planner that includes things that regular planners don't include. When I first started homeschooling, I made one for myself, but that was back in the day there were, when there was no Etsy, there was no print-on-demand, there were none, none of those things. So I didn't make it, and I had it printed, and um, some of my friends used it, but I'm trying to like use all of that information that I put into that planner to develop one for trauma-informed parents which will include these cards that I talked about, some examples of them that you can either use, plus also some short cards, which I'm going to talk about in another episode. But if you join my email list, all you have to do is go to traumainformedparenting.com and choose, click the button on the homepage to get the whatever the freebie is right now then I'll be sending out bits of this planner for free to my email list ahead of time before I offer it to the public. So that's all I have for today, and thanks for joining me. I will see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to Trauma-Informed Parenting. Make sure you subscribe on traumainformedparenting.com to receive a free resource and receive a newsletter plus updates when books or new courses are released. Also, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Podomatic, or Spotify, 
and leave a review so other listeners can find trauma-informed parenting and know the value of the show. You're welcome to send me an email to contact at traumainformedparenting.com.